This uh, Matt, what are we doing? This is Chris Gals we're here with. Matt Howell, this does not bode well if you can't even get through your own name. <laughs> this week on the first run, Matt, William Friedkin spins so hard in his grave that he's able to power the entire eastern seaboard. As Matt and I discuss David Gordon Green's latest horror hijacking with The Exorcist Believer. Does the legacy sequel possess us all once again, Matt, with fear and dread? Or is that fear and dread more related to the potential of having to see two more films in this trilogy? I guess you kind of might know where I'm coming down on this one. And then I'm going to continue to anger Matt because we're going to discuss When Evil Lurks, which is a film that will be on Shudder in about two weeks. And uh, I made Matt go see it in the theater. I didn't know that at the time. All right, I, I had no idea it was a Shudder release. When that Shudder emblem, their logo came up in the movie, I was like, oh, oh no. Oh, God, no. Maybe, though, it was worth it for Matt. We'll find out. There's going to be a discussion of the big releases on physical media featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then Matt and I are going to close out the show by sharing our five favorite final girls. Will it feature anyone from a film newer than 2000? There's only one way to find out. There are ghosts and goblins. Let's start everything off, though, with a clip from Exorcist Believer. You know that I love you, right? You know you can tell me anything. You and Catherine doing out there in those woods. I wanted to talk to Mom. Sometimes I hear her voice. You light a candle. Clear your mind. You start speaking what the spirit says to you. What does the spirit say to you? Matt, what is Exorcist Believer? Excuse me, I'm, I'm dropping the indefinite article. What is The Exorcist Believer all about? All right, well, um, two girls. One is a member of a very strict religious uh, Christian family. The other is uh, the daughter of a single father who lost her mother in a tragic accident and is jaded with the entire idea of spirituality. They go out into the woods, like dumbass kids do in horror movies, and decide to hold what seems like a really innocuous seance of some kind. It seems like the lightest form of occult anything that you could do. It more, it's like playing the candle game, uh, you know, at at a slumber party. But somehow, this invites a demon into them, and they get possessed, and they have to be exercised. The end. The end. Matt, what, what's your opinion on this latest round that we've been experiencing these, these legacy sequels? Oh, boy. Um, well, I will say this. It is incredibly ballsy to attempt to make a legacy sequel of what is considered probably in the canon of top-tier horror films of all time with the William Friedkin's The Exorcist. Who's? I would say too. I would even perhaps drop horror from that. True. I think The Exorcist is one of the best films I think ever made. I'm completely on board with that assessment. However, you would think how bad every sequel has been to this, that original film, that they would have learned a lesson. Wait. Now I know what you're gonna Don't. say. Listen, guys, I'm gonna go out and on a limb and say it because nobody will say the honest truth in the film review community the exorcist 3 has one scary scene and the rest of it's not that great it's still better than any of the other sequels but it's not that great so let's slow your roll what the fuck y'all god damn god damn god 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I can agree with that. <laughs> that that third film. It all right. right. It does have one of the great scares right. in horror history. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's true. But I think the whole film itself is, is very, very good. Is it as good as the first film? No, of course not. And is it the best film in the entire Exorcist run of properties? Probably, though I will say, I have not seen the Exorcist TV show, which is supposed to be very good. Mm-hmm. I think we're in for two seasons on Fox. Right. And I just bought it because it was on Vudu for both seasons for five bucks. Wow, that's a good deal. And I'm thinking, you know what? I... Let me check it out for five bucks. Sure. I hear it's supposed to be excellent. Right. So we'll, we'll take a spin at that maybe over the holiday season. But I, no, I will not countenance any uh, Exorcist 3 slander on this show. Anyway. So, <laughs> though I will agree with your statement, that if you're going to mess, if you're going to do a legacy sequel on a classic film, you best not miss. And unfortunately, Matt, I think we, 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 we really miss. Yeah, this is a whole this. lot of miss in this. And it started I mean, off... I have to say, relatively promising. The yeah, most of the first half is good. Yeah, the the whole missing children Ish. plot is mm-hmm. pretty. I mean, it doesn't break any new ground, but it's pretty riveting. It's mm. entertaining. I mean, I enjoyed it until they found them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but I think that's so. What Gordon Green's doing too with that first grouping of the, the first part of the film is, I think a lot of people get The Exorcist wrong. Mm. Really. Reagan is not the star or the focus of that film, all right? The focus is Damien Karras, and the focus is Ellen Burstyn's character, I think, and the two crises of faith that these two people are having, really. Uh, the possessed young girl is is more of a plot driver, I think, than it is for anything else in the film. So what I think one of the great decisions Friedkin does in that first film, too, is he really lets the relationship between Linda Blair and Ellen Burstyn's characters breathe. You really get to know them as a mother and daughter as as she slowly slips into this possession, right? And I think but that's what, what makes the rest of the film so successful is that you, you give time for that relationship to build with us and we get engaged with the whole thing. And Green tries to do that here. And I don't think he's as successful. I think I don't know, man. I just didn't think I, I I didn't think it was. What are what are your thoughts on that? I think he's trying too much to kind of ape what made the first film good mm-hmm. and it just totally fumbles. Yeah, I think um having two girls is a mistake, I think, and I think he does it mm-hmm. just for the kind of shock bummer ending that we get at the end. Um yep. and I agree with you. He completely misses the point of what made the original so effective. Like even the parts, even though there's a lot of, you know, scary scenes in that film, it's all kind of very, it starts subtle and it kind of builds to it until like at the end, you kind of, you got to get the full blown effect. Right. And that's kind of like the very end of the film. Whereas this, as soon as they show up, they're messed up from like get go. And I don't know. I think they're trying to reach too deep into the well of what they think like a modern horror film would look like giving you more like he did with the Halloween, you know, legacy sequels that he made to varying degrees of success. And Mm -hmm. I I just don't think that in a film like that, like the exorcist, you're not, it's a, you know, supernatural faith based, some of its psychology. That's what makes it scary. Whereas this is, he's trying to make it like a monster movie and that just doesn't work. No, I think the contemplative kind of focus on religion and faith is 
basically devoid in this film. Yeah. He tries to do it. In fact, Matt, he's putting together a team. Like Nick Fury level, mm. I'm putting together a team of religious leaders in this, this town to combat the dual possession. Right. And it just feels so forced. And it's just this hackneyed attempt to put together the Avengers of faith. Right. And the nuance in this film is just entirely absent. There's a subtlety, I think, to Friedkin's original, even with all of its iconic moments, that is just totally devoid in this film. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting choice. Like there's like why didn't he couldn't find a Muslim or if he or a, a Jew to build this team? He had to get like three, four Christian preachers and like one voodoo lady to to come into this thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I I don't know. It's it's it feels entirely inorganic this thing and like why why even is it a legacy sequel what's the point right right because like i said before the for the point of the first film it's not really about regan so or reagan so we don't need to do this right it only exists we only bring back ellen burson's character to try and to tie it into the original to try and get butts in the seats and then what they do to her mm-hmm. in this film is just bizarre and the relationship with with reagan too mm. makes no sense right if you watch that first film not shoot her that character would never do what she did in this film to set up the the distance in you know issue between her and reagan as mother daughter right. it would never happen after what she goes through for her yeah to the, it would never happen and then it has this really kind of cheesy tacked on, even though it's inevitable and you know it's coming, little teaser reveal at the end, right? Which I guess is what we're going to do to set up the next two films. And at that point, I was just groaning and eye rolling and it's just ridiculous, right? There's, even the, that tournament that's supposed to shock us, all I felt was like, oh yeah, of course, that that's exactly what right what you would do. Yeah, but I mean, it's... And, I mean, the whole, the kind of downbeat ending, and like, I thought it was a bummer. Like, I didn't like it. Like, I didn't think it was earned. I think you, and even reading, like, interviews with uh, David Gordon Green, who talked about the ending, he's like, oh, well, I wanted to, you know, give a little bit that the the good guys took some lumps and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, that doesn't really work here. Like, it doesn't, seems to go against the entirety of the purpose of the exorcist kind of franchise and how all these things kind of work out i just didn't i didn't like it i didn't love it david you're really off base on how this uh is all supposed to work yeah and when i'm talking about the turn two i feel like i lumped it into with the reveal of at the end but i'm talking more about the other reveal about his his uh leslie odom jr's Mm -hmm. choice right when the real decision is revealed which i think was that's a decision i would have made i don't know how you come down right but i feel like if i was in that scenario that's what i would have done but that again just feels entirely well yeah that's exactly what happened I and mean, it's not even that shocking a right. moment it doesn't work it's supposed to be this big emotional linchpin kind of reveal and it's it's nothing it's absolutely nothing this film is basically calorie free the, the calorie free fast food version of the exorcist this is the coke zero of exorcist films matt and I just wish. First, I was thinking, like, I'm so glad Friedkin isn't alive to see this. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, absolutely not. No, I would want him right. ripping this film apart. I, 
one of my favorite, one of the most acerbic directors, uh, you know, that ever lived. And I would have loved to have seen him walk out of the theater and just say, well, that sucked. <laughs> yeah, he definitely would have. He would not have minced words. It's really a shame that we, uh, we're we not going to get to get his commentary on this film. And two, another thing, too, that bothered me was, like, the color palette. Another thing that I loved about the, the original is that it's it's not like it's it's not entirely devoid of color, but it's very it very much feels like it's washed a out, stark, yeah, washed out kind of cold mm-hmm. feel. You get that feeling from watching that that film. And this is just more like shot on digital. You know, everything looks fine. Like it looks like one of the Halloween films he did too. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand what's up with Gordon Green. When he does his little independent drama type stuff, he seems to know, seems to have a good grasp on that. His Halloween trilogy, though, I did just pick up Halloween Ends because it was part of Prime. It was like $9 mm-hmm. or something like that on 4K. I'm like, well, I got to at least finish the set, I guess. I don't know why I do that. Yeah, I don't so. know why you did that either, but continue. <laughs> so, but that series, too, like I thought the first one, I think, was solid. Mm-hmm. I probably enjoyed the second one probably more than I should just because of the chaos and violence of it. Yeah. And I, I appreciated the effort of the third one, the idea of it, even though I don't think it's successful. Yeah. But I think we need to keep him away from these kind of horror films at this point. And maybe even Danny McBride, who was, I guess, co-writer or came up with half the, you know, helped flush out the idea for this film. Right. And I guess they announced today or yesterday that he's not coming back for the next two films. David Gordon Green or Danny McBride? David Gordon Green. Yeah. He will not be directing them, at least. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, this thing made a lot of money, or it did really well, at least the, over the weekend. So we'll see until Taylor Swift comes and consumes all theaters for all time. But uh, yeah, I, I hope uh, I hope we don't get any more of these. Like, can you? What would he even do? What are the other legacy horror sequels that he could do? Like, bring back Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, sure, Friday the Thirteenth. Friday the Thirteenth. Um, Maybe do a Blair Witch reboot mm. type thing. God, I, what I understand, A twenty four announced the other day that they they want to get into more commercially successful stuff. Mm. I guess candles and blankets aren't really paying the bills. And Ernest right looks now. Uh, Ernest looks of two lesbians across the way. That's not uh, that's not going to pay the bills. You you be careful now. <laughs> if, if you're no that neon rated did portrait of a lady on fire. Oh, okay. so excuse me. Like I would know. I was just poking you a little bit at your your unabashed love of uh, of portrait of a lady on fire. I mean, Ernest looks across a fire where nothing is said. <laughs> anyway, so I got the Jamesy button ready to go. If you want to keep pushing me, uh, <laughs> I mean, you use it so much. So I mean, I might as well earn it this time. You know. So, but yeah, so they want to get it. So they're, they're rumored to be going after Friday the 13th. A24 okay. is. Uh, I would rather they have it, I think, than Bloomhouse at this point. Because okay. Bloomhouse, I think, hasn't been particularly strong the last few outings, I guess, what with Halloween and now this. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Matt, any other thoughts on uh, Exorcist? The Exorcist, excuse me believer because i am no believer let me tell you bro <laughs> uh i think we've already wasted too much time so i'm gonna give my grade and uh never think about it again and that is a d i'm gonna give it a d nothing no plus no minus just a d i gave it a d plus just because of i think leslie odom jr's performance in it at least that first portion of it mm-hmm. uh but that's it i think that's really the 
that and like you said the lost lost girls what happened to them we got to find them type stuff but then you're right once they find them everything just unravels like immediately and then ellen bursts and shows it's just oh so so upsetting if you had a chance to see the exorcist believer it's currently in theaters though i think it's i think they announced it'll hit a streaming thing like at the end of the month like right before halloween okay fair enough so i guess they're just surrendering to taylor swift (laughs) and i don't know but there you go shoot an email at feedback at the first run.com universal that'll be peacock right that should be peacock it'll show up on right very good all right matt let's keep going then and spend a few minutes talking about what's coming up on physical media this upcoming tuesday uh, this is a release in 4K by uh, Scream Factory. Um, one of the best horror films of the 80s. One of the best horror remakes ever made. Owned on Blu-ray. Had it on VHS. Had it on DVD. Have it on uh, on Scream Factory Special Edition Blu-ray now. I don't... It's going to have to be like 10 bucks. if I'm going to upgrade this to 4K. And the transfers are going to need to sparkle. Uh, even though it is one of my favorite horror films. And we'll see what Matt thinks of it when we get back. Keller speaking. Sheriff, this is Paul Taylor. Uh-oh, what's wrong? I'm at the Orbitville Hospital. An old man's just been killed down here. You said killed? Yes, sir. Okay, you sit tight, I'll be right down. Now, who else is involved? I'm with Meg Penny. And Brian Flagg was here earlier. Flagg? Where is he now? <laughs> Oh, that sounds bad. Charles Russell's The Blob, the remake from 1988, is being released in 4K from Scream Factory, featuring a pre-Saw Sean E. Smith along with Kevin Dillon. And uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on the uh, Blob remake from 88? Oh, I love it. I love its kind of nastiness, its cruelty, its uh, cold vibe. I'm, I'm a big fan of The Blob. I only have it on DVD, so I've been holding out for a 4K release. Hopefully it's good. There you go. Yeah, some of the best practical effects, I think, in 80s, any 80s horror film. Really just disturbing, terrifying stuff. So you can pick that up, Matt. Also being released. Oh, Matt, I didn't number them. So I have no idea how we're going to work out here number-wise. So we'll start with five, and then um, we'll see how it takes us. We'll see how it Number five! So uh, Criterion, Matt, is releasing its new Giannis Contemporaries line. All right? So it's not officially Criterion releases. So they're putting out uh, La Naissance. You like that? The Innocent? Yeah. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Good. When Abel learns that his mother is about to marry a man in prison, he freaks out, bro. With the help of his best friend, he'll do whatever it takes to protect her. But meeting his new stepfather may well offer him a new perspective. Mm. Includes a uh, Meet the Filmmaker interview with the director, uh, Louis Garrel. And they're also putting out, as is Giannis Contemporaries, No Bears. One of the world's greatest cinema artists, Yafar Panahi, has been carefully crafting Matt's self-reflexive works about artistic, personal, and political freedom for the past three decades, despite being banned from filmmaking by his native land, the Iranian government, since 2010. So, uh, No Bears was completed shortly before his imprisonment in 2022, and he plays a fictionalized version of himself, a dissident filmmaker who relocates to a rural border town to direct the film remotely in nearby Turkey and find himself embroiled in a local scandal. And then the final film being released by Giannis Contemporaries is a film I, I, I can't recommend it because it disturbed me so much. And that's EO. Mm. The film about the donkey who escapes from the farm. Right. And no film has impacted me as emotionally as that film has in the last few years. So watch it at your peril. 
Uh, but I was depressed and furious at the end of that film, even though it's how things happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, EO does not have a happy ending. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Though no donkeys were harmed in the making of that picture. So I guess I have that going for me. Ugh, God, I'm getting upset just thinking about it again. Four. Criterion, though, is releasing Todd Browning's Sideshow Shockers, Matt. There's a box set. I think you can get them individually as well. Uh, but Freaks, The Unknown, and The Mystic all getting 2K restorations. Have you ever seen Freaks? The original? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah. Really weird, disturbing, great film. Mm-hmm. So you can get that from Criterion, Matt. Oh, I know you're excited for this one. Get three coffins ready. Uh, huh? Getting released on Blu-ray and 4K, Barbie. Gets a Dolby Atmos audio track and HDR presentation and a whole bunch of featurettes on the making of the film. Matt, will you be picking up Barbie? No, I will not. <laughs> wow. Are, I don't, are you? A... Are you going to pick it up? You're not going to pick it up. You're not going to pick it up. Come on, no, don't even try. <laughs> I enjoyed it, yeah, but uh, it's not something to own. Watching it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. I don't know why you hate women. <laughs> Looks like we're shy one horse. <laughs> You brought too, too many. You're not buying Matt, it either. You're mansion. not buying it either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I love women. Mm. Uh, <laughs> number two is uh, The Haunted Mansion. This is the latest version of uh, The Haunted Mansion mm-hmm. being released in 4K and Blu-ray. Walmart has an enamel pin of the crystal ball. Best Buy has a pretty cool-looking steel book, And then there's a 4K exclusive cover from the Disney Movie Club. Uh, it's Dolby Atmos audio track. In fact, I th- yeah, no. There's some weird stuff going on with Disney... Um, in regards to the 4K, like I see some places where you can only get the traditional 4K if you're a member of the f- movie club. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like Best Buy, I think is only, I think the Steelbook is a 4K, but Walmart is just a Blu-ray. It's a little weird. It's a ver- I couldn't really nail that down. So uh, includes Dolby Atmos audio track. Of course, no Dolby uh, Atmos, uh, excuse me, Dolby uh, Vision because it's Disney. Uh, eight deleted scenes, gag reel, and more. And then, oh, it did work out, Matt, finally. There can be only one. I've heard good things, and I think it's on Screenbox, but now you can pick it up right now. RoboDoc, the creation of RoboCop, which is, I think, like a th- almost a three-hour uh, long documentary. Mm-hmm. I think they chopped it up like into three-hour episodes on the making of RoboCop. And you'll be able to get it from Walmart as a steelbook. It's a fan-funded documentary exploring the making of RoboCop. Its sequels and its 30-year legacy include some feature rights on the making of the documentary as well. I'll, I'd like to watch that. I don't know if I'd own it, but I would definitely want to check it out at some point. Mm-hmm. What about yourself? Yeah, I would check it out. I mean, RoboCop's a great movie. There you go. Good. Wow. Wait a... How could you say something so controversial yet so brave? Or did I miss that up? I, I don't understand where so this aggression is so coming from. I mean, I like, <laughs> like, I mean, one... I'm not the only one who's not going to buy Barbie. He, uh, Mr. Buys 4Ks and like order stuff from the UK is not buying it either. So don't let him fool you. And two, how many times have we talked about Robocop? We have talked about Robocop almost as much as we've talked about things like The Thing. So you know what? If you've listened to the show at all, you've probably heard us talk about it at least 10 times. So you know our thoughts on Robocop. <sighs> oh, you like I couldn't find the clip in time. <laughs> Good. Anyway. Oh, good for you. A little slow right, Matt, on the uh, button there, buddy. We are. I couldn't find it. It was all messed up. Matt, we talked about the blob. There are some shout exclusives, too, if you want to buy it directly from them. They have like a poster and 
a uh, whole bunch of stuff too. And then some steel books in 4K, Matt, Smoking the Bandit, Zack Snyder's Justice League, Godzilla vs. Kong, and The Way We Were, all getting steelbook releases. Nice. No, that's wrong. Okay. The Way We Were is just getting a 4K release. All right. Fair enough. And then finally, your straight-to-DVD pick of the week, Matt, is... They're at it again. Sniper. Oh. Grit, which stands for Global Response and Intelligent Team, which is just a horrible, horrible name. When an international terrorist cult threatens global political stability, Matt, and kidnaps a fellow agent, Sniper, Brendan Beckett, played by Chad Michael Collins, and the newly formed Global Response and Intelligence Team, or GRIT, not the stuff you used to deliver when you were a kid in the back of those comic books, led by Colonel Stone, played by Dennis Haysbert. Must travel across the world, Matt, to Malta, infiltrate the cult, and take out its leader to free Lady Death, played by Luna Fujimoto, and stop the global threat. Ryan Robbins and Josh Brenner co-star Matt in this globe-trotting entry in the Sniper franchise, in parentheses, 497 characters, close parentheses. <laughs> I don't know why that was there, but it was there, and it made me laugh. So uh, what should we be streaming this week, Matt? And we'll see if Matt chose the, select, the correct thing, because something hit its streaming premiere this week. Uh, I don't know. I feel I feel very uh, I feel like there's and a lot Matt of pressure now. I don't I don't know. Maybe I, I don't think I did. I don't think this is it. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna recommend a, a film that uh, Chris mentioned last week that is uh, coming out that came out on physical media. The Boogeyman is available for streaming on Hulu. Pretty good horror movie. But just looking at Chris's face, that's not what he wanted me to talk about. No, Matt. No, no, no. On Hulu, mm-hmm. I think it premiered. Yesterday, okay. I watched the first half of the first episode tonight with Mrs. First Run, uh-huh. who so far is less than impressed. Okay, <laughs> Moonlighting has made its premiere on Hulu. Oh my! Which was God. a very formative show for a young Chris Scalzo. Very impactful to him, and he's very happy to be able to watch it in HD. And it is in uh, the original aspect ratio, which I'm very happy about. I was really worried they were gonna, you know, widescreen zoom it in on me, but they didn't, thankfully. So. There you go. You know, it's nice to know that Chris Scalzo has always been at least a 30-something his entire life because that is not anywhere that I would have gone to for... I don't think I've seen an, uh, a single episode of it, ever. And I'm not going to change that. That is... Okay, well, that's, 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 your, that's your mistake. Matt, I just want to mention this briefly, too. Sure. It was announced by Neon Radio. You can buy it directly from them. They have it on Diabolic DVD. I haven't seen anything else yet. Neon Cinema has Old Boy, the Deluxe Extra Four, excuse Deluxe Ultra 4K Limited Edition. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can pick this up. It's a two disc limited edition and includes a 68 page case bound book, three new essays, and six gift wrap collector's cards. This thing looks gorgeous. So I reached out to my guy here at Viper Video, which is a local store here, which you can buy stuff online as well, so vipervideo.com, to see if he's going to carry it. If not, I'll just order directly from Neon. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just have Old Boy on DVD. So I'd be very excited to pick this up on uh, 4K. And I would just hope they get their hands on uh, uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Lady Vengeance as well. Right. Would you be picking up an Old Boy on the 4K there? Yeah, I actually don't own it at any format so yeah that's that's uh, what i've been waiting for really good I, i'm so disappointed that i didn't get to catch up with it i think it only played a couple nights here mm-hmm. and i was unavailable those nights to go see it in the theaters so but yeah take a look folks at uh, neonrated.com this looks fantastic so you may want to jump all over that all right matt let's keep rolling then spend a few minutes to talk about the argentinian shutter sorry about that original when evil lurks 
Hay un embichado en el pueblo. Estás asustando a mi familia. ¡Lo vi con mis propios ojos! ¡Estuve con él! Esto va a ser un infierno. So if, if if you don't speak Spanish, you may not have noticed that basically what happens is they're all at a Dairy Queen and somebody messes up their order and everything goes horribly, horribly Right. So they, they took they what the, the plot starts by they hand their um, blizzard out and you know how they turn it upside down? Well they didn't mm-hmm. spin it enough and it falls out and that's yep. just yep. a disaster for everyone Absolutely. involved. So <laughs> Matt, evil when evil lurks, these uh, two brothers they're working on this kind of farm type place, right? And then in the middle of the night they hear some some gun blasts, mm-hmm. and they go check it out, and they find a, a guy, a dead guy, and uh, they try and find out what happened to him. Where what, why is he there? And they come, they go to visit one of their neighbors who's like you know a couple miles down the road, and discover that the old woman there, her son, is a rotten. Matt, and uh, which I guess stands for the fact that he has been possessed. Mm-hmm. The problem is, if you shoot him, kill him, whatever the case may be, and you don't do it correctly with a proper religious kind of accoutrement, right? Then the demon is released and will then can go possess other things. And this sucker moves like the wind, it, it can inhabit anything animals, your clothes, like a particle of it, can then possess something, whatever the case may be, Matt, right? And these two brothers decide, try to figure out what they're going to do. To are they going to run away, protect their families, fight the possession, and and then everything basically falls apart, Matt. And then one of the really interesting things I liked about this film is that not only did I say out loud in the theater, "What the fuck!" <laughs> out twice. I love the fact that in this countryside here, this is just something that happens. Yeah. Right, that it's a it not I want to say a normal course of events, but it it happens enough that people know what they're supposed to do when they come across it. It happens enough that they have nursery rhymes about it. Yes. So, what are your thoughts on evil when evil works, Matt? And was it worth you going to see it in the theaters and not waiting for show? Oh boy. Um. So this is my struggle. It's football season. Football weekends are for football right now. Saturdays is for college football, and. Uh, Sundays are for a pro. And this had two showings all weekend. One yep. was at like 345, which is like prime football time. And then the other one was at 845. And I had no choice, really, but to go to the 845 one. And I will say this. This is a good film. I enjoyed it. I'm a little annoyed that we couldn't have just waited two weeks and watched it on Shutter, But... Be that as it may, I I hesitate to say that I had a good time, but it's a, no. it is a, it is definitely a film that is worth watching. Yeah, I don't think good time <laughs> is in any way to describe this film. This is an experience, right? And it's like, I, I'm watching this, like, imagine COVID, but it's demons, right? Mm-hmm. How it spreads through animals, through people, through your clothes, like I said. And it's an endemic of possession. And I like to, like they say, it happens mostly in big cities when it occurs, right? That's clearly what we're going for here. But this film is not for the faint of heart, Matt. I think it has shocking moments of gore and violence that hits you like a sack of hammers. And it's that one scene when he comes upon the mom 
driving down the road. Mm-hmm. I just got a chill just thinking about it just now. And it is, we had that too in the scene with Chekhov's dog <laughs> when he goes to visit his family. Right? You just know, you know, and you're waiting you know for it to happen. Yep. And even though you know it's going to happen, it is still disturbingly unsettling. Yeah. It, it is really just... And and then also, too, our Damien Rugna, who is the writer and director of this thing, too, it's his politics are all over this thing. Because, A, we're dealing with like a pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. A corrupted church, a loss of faith in government and society. I think one of the more stronger pro-choice uh, horror films I've seen in a very long time. And it's also just classically unsettling, scary, and cringe-inducing, but like in a good way. Mm-hmm. Where you're like uncomfortable, like when you're at the top of the roller coaster and then it drops and you feel that right in your area, right? I really had a few moments like that in this film. And the ending, so it goes for a real emotional ending. Mm-hmm. And if there's any weakness in the film, I don't know if it nails it. Yeah. But everything else up until then. It's one of the best horror films I think I've seen in a couple in a couple of years. It's really that it's just that unsettling. Yeah, yeah. It's just there's just madness for like a good eighty minutes of this movie. Yeah, it's it's very disturbing. It doesn't flinch, and it's not. I, I you know, Chris, what did you call it? What if what was the what was the 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 reference you made as far as what this was like? I don't remember what you're talking about. I said like what the f twice out loud. Nah. It's like so. I mean, this is more like if imagine it's kind of like if Evil Dead didn't have any jokes in it, and it, <laughs> like it was is uh, like just straight up serious and gross, and that's kind of what this thing is like. And it's it's yeah. I mean, it's not for the faint of stomach. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, if you're easily disturbed by violence, especially incredibly graphic violence against uh, and things that in many stories are safe nothing is safe here mm-hmm. you know if you can get past all that um and the fact that everybody's a complete idiot and you know you just keep they keep making mistake after mistake and they're small but they all just start to kind of build on each other and it's like you know i heard what to do one time 10 minutes ago and i knew would have known not to make that mistake if you've been living with it your whole life dumbass but be that as it may, I think overall yeah. it's uh, it's it's like I said, like Chris said, it's an experience. If you're into horror films, it's something that you owe yourself to watch. I agree. They don't. I don't think they really stick the landing. What they go for, they don't really earn. But it's a minor quibble when everything before it is so good. Yeah, agreed, Matt. Uh, I ended up giving when evil lurks an A minus. I think just. Those two, the two for me, big shocking moments of horror, particularly too with the truck and the and the mom, that's gonna sit with me for a long time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's where I landed with it. Yeah, I'm gonna give it an A minus as well. Um, bit of a tough sit, but if you can manage, yeah. you know, you know what? Listening to us, you know, if you're in the audience or not, and you're gonna go see it at some point, at the very least, when it comes out on Shutter. Yeah, there you go. I think it is still playing and limitedly in theaters when this drops, but. I don't know. With the Taylor Swift errors movie, it's probably going to get dropped like a sack of hammers, like the one that hit me while I was watching this, as I said. So, uh, yeah, like I, in, uh, I'm very clear, just like with EO, I don't handle the death of animals well either. And that happens pretty graphically in here, too. Uh, so just prepare yourself for that. Like Matt said, nobody and nothing is safe in this film. So just 
you are you have been warned. So uh, when Evil Lurks will be streaming on Shutter, I think in about two weeks from when this episode drops, it should be on at the end of the month, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there you go. That'll be a great way to close out your Halloween. Let me tell you. Oof, just not with the family, not with the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put this on for, with Grandma when she's out handing out uh, trick or treater candy. There you go. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. If you've had a chance to see it, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Matt, let's close out the big show and share our five favorite final girls. And we say that lovingly, right? It's more of a, an homage. We understand that maybe that term isn't exactly proper anymore, but that's kind of how it's still known. Mm-hmm. And they transcend that kind of, yeah, all right, shut up, Chris. Let's talk about <laughs> this one that didn't make my final cut. And I got to tell you, it was really hard mm-hmm. not having her in there, but I had to honor her at least here. I'm pregnant. What? I'm pregnant. <laughs> yes, that's fantastic. I don't want it. You don't want it? No. I'm going to have an abortion. You can't make a decision like that. You haven't even asked me. I wasn't even going to tell you. Jess. I want us to have a baby. Peter, I can't. Oh, Christ, Jess. Don't you ever consider anyone but yourself. What an a-hole. Dear Lord. That, of course, is uh, Jess Bradford, played by Olivia Hussey and Bob Clark's Black Christmas, mm. one of my favorite horror films. You haven't seen it. It is fantastic. And remedy that immediately. And I'm looking at my list, Matt, and now I'm thinking, you know what? I think she should be my five. Okay. Because I think it's disrespectful that I didn't make her my five. I, I, I was trying, you know what it was? I was trying not to have so many cliches and so many older films mm. on my list. I wanted to have at least one, somebody from in a film that was made in the last like 20 years sure. on my on my list. But it's such a strong performance by her because everything that's happening, all the madness that unfolds around here and nobody believes her, but she's right the whole time. And everything, uh, uh, and she's great in that role. And it's... Uh, yeah, and it's a great little film. If you haven't seen the original Black Christmas, and I'm gonna tell you too, the remake, both of them, I enjoy. I like the one from the early aughts because it's just hyper violent and weird and just rock dumb at times. But just it's got a just a dusting of exploitation, which I love. And then I like the uh, newer one too. So um, yeah, that's that's. I guess Matt, I'll make that my five. I guess. Okay. I don't know. All right. Well, well, I'll be curious to hear who was at number five uh, show up in your your honorable mentions. There you go. What about you? What's your five? All right. So my five is, again, a film that we talk about a lot on this show. I think really all of these we probably have talked about quite a bit. Um, but it is uh, Sarah Carter, played by Shauna McDonald, in The Descent. Uh, mm-hmm. Her and some friends decide that they are going to reconnect after having a falling out and they're on the verge of kind of going all their separate ways and they decide to go on a spelunking adventure whereas somebody doesn't tell them that it's an unexplored cave and it goes from god-awful terrifying claustrophobia to 
wow, this place is full of monsters. And they all get picked off one by one until she is quite literally the final girl. And depending on which version of this you watch, really changes how this thing ends. But, mm. you know, um, I love The Descent. Uh, I think uh, it's a great film. And I am all about uh, Sarah in this film. I like Juno. I had a bit of a crush on uh, Did you? Yeah. Very good. When that first came out. Did you catch up with two? Because I know I said you have. I have not had a chance. I've actually been watching a lot of horror movies, but uh, I have not watched that one yet. All right. Fair enough. Uh, My number four, then, as my cliched list rolls on, it's a matter of just what order they're going to be in, Matt, Mm -hmm. is uh, Sidney Prescott for the uh, Scream films, particularly, I think, the first one, really, Nev Campbell. Uh, What's great about her, and I think for a lot of the, the ones in my list, too, is that Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven do a great job of updating the final girl uh, for the new kind of, you know, late, what, the 90s. And Nev Campbell does a great job of, A, not just being kind of initially vulnerable and betrayed by her uh, boyfriend. Spoilers, I guess, for a 30-year-old film. But comes through at the other side and becomes one of the better badasses in, uh, you know, the uh, horror films of the last uh, 30. Because it's 2023 now, right? So 30-plus years? Right. Dear God. So uh, that's Nev's my four, Sydney Prescott. Yeah, um, Sydney Prescott is my four as well. I, I'm not a huge Scream fan, although the first one, I, when I Me first neither. saw it, it was very, very good, and I really liked it. It's kind of grown beyond itself to almost become the thing that it, it kind of lovingly mocked in the first one. Um, but she is kind of like the culmination of the final girl trope. So I feel like she had to be on this list somewhere. So I put her at number four. That's a great pick, Matt. That's a good way to put it. Uh, My number three then is Kirsty. Kirsty Cotton from Hellraiser. Mm, Good one. Uh, I've always, Ashley Lawrence is fantastic and a lot of fun in those uh, Hellraiser films. And she is just out of all the, probably out of the, I don't know, traditional kind of cliched 80s horror final girls she's probably my favorite out of all of them just uh not only because she survives everything and tries to you know obviously bring back her father but the fact that she makes a deal Mm. with our iconic horror uh cenobites and is more than willing to sell her uh her stepmother down the river to, to you know, she's there's a there's a subtle kind of darkness in her as well that I really appreciate. So uh, yeah, Kirsty is my uh, number three. Yeah, I, I really like Hellraiser too. That's a good pick. Um, all right, so my number three then I think is the for me the ultimate of the slasher films of the '80s, and it is Nancy Thompson played by Heather Langenkamp in mm-hmm. Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. I think really what makes it so effective is you know, Michael Myers or Jason, they're a physical presence, right? You can run away from them. You can get away from them. It may be unlikely, but you could do it. Whereas everybody's got to sleep and you're not going to be able to force yourself off that somehow she still, you know, manages to stick it out and, you know, bring Freddy into a weak point and uh, really come up with some home alone type of stuff at the end there to really, uh, really sock it to him. But even just some of it, like, like in like when the guy is, you know, reading the reading Shakespeare in class, and then like the guy who's reading it 
changes from just like the typical high school board to like really kind of whispering and menacing as he's reading this this soliloquy from Hamlet and it just kind of shifts and she's like lost in school because she's fallen asleep in class is just fantastic. Heather Langenkamp is really however old she was like 17 or 18 years old when she filmed that was just uh, really sold that role. Yeah, she's an honorable mention for me. Uh, I love that first film, but the rest of them never really worked for me. No, they don't. Um, no, they're all terrible. But uh, yeah, the first one is Chef's Kiss Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So she was an honorable mention. She would probably would have been my seven, I guess. Okay. I don't know. Six. Who knows? Whatever. <laughs> my number two, then, is probably the one that jumps to everybody's mind mm-hmm. right away, and that's Jim Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode mm-hmm. in the Halloween films. Particularly the the first one. The second one, I don't think it's quite as engaging and as good. She becomes much more of a cliched kind of, oh no, somebody save me kind of a thing. Well, in the first film, I think it's, I don't know. I just I have a, more of a feeling of authenticity from her, even though she's, what, like 22 playing a high school right. girl, right, in that one. But she's able to embody kind of that just 19, mid, mid to late 70s teenager uh, young woman as all of her friends are slaughtered around her. And I never really cared for the fact that, though I think that was that was introduced in part two, right? Where she's his sister, mm-hmm. Michael Myers' sister. Right. Um, no, actually, it was in the TV version of the first film. They have that, too, in okay. the extended TV cut. Okay. I believe they mention it there. Um, but is that right about that? Regardless, <laughs> Jimmy Curtis is Laurie Strode, icon. And uh, Jimmy Curtis has come back a few times for that role, particularly lately in the latest in David Gordon Green's run, which, yeah, yeah, all right. I don't know. I almost wonder if the H2O mm. return was better than the Gordon Green run. But Even more uh, than the first one? I thought the first one was pretty good. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I really don't know. I, I just like to watch. I, you know what I did? I did watch part three again last week. Okay, fair enough. And I started watching my uh, Halloween Sandman cut Blu-ray, okay. which is one that melds parts one and two with some TV extra scenes too. Okay. I'll add it in, kind of make one long, kind of you know, the night of Michael Myers type thing. So right, all right. Um, that's a good pick, Chris. I wonder if I'm going to be spoiling. Uh... Chris's number one with my number two. And that mm. is uh, Ellen Ripley, Sigourney Weaver as the ultimate, I mean, I would say the final girl that while she shows fear and she's obviously smartly afraid of this ultimate killing machine that's trapped on the ship, she still keeps her head together. She still takes charge when she has to. She's a total badass you know, culminates in the, in aliens. And then we'll forget that any, she appeared anywhere else in any of the other films afterwards. But, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, especially in that first film, she's just, uh, the kind of evolution of Laurie Strode in this final girl. She's kind of like the, the, uh, next step that kind of lays the basis for like Nev Campbell and Sidney Prescott and all that stuff. That's exactly right, and that's why she is my number one. That's for those exact reasons, absolutely. And even with the later films, she's still the best thing at all. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley is she's the icon. She is the role model for all the final girls, you know. So yeah, I think she's the only choice you can possibly have for a number one. But she's clearly not Matt. No. Matt, what is yours? My number one then is uh, the Ur text, if you will, which is Laurie Strode, uh, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. I think 
without having her, you don't have final girls. So while Ellen Ripley may be the culmination, Mm. you know, uh, Laurie Strode is the template, is the foundation. And, you know, obviously it became a cliche and a joke, you know, save me, save me kind of thing. But the whole parts of it is, again, you know, while she's out of her depth, she does the best that she can and she tries to fight it off. She shows fear. It's not like she's not afraid. So I I think, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is great in that film. So I think just because she is the quintessential first final girl, arguably, then I think you have to go with her. Hmm. I think that's fair. I could make you, I still, I I like the idea though, like you said, that Ripley is a culmination of all of that. Mm -hmm. So that's why she's my one, but her being the, yeah, that's, that's good. I like that reasoning. Matt, my honorable mentions then. My initial number five was Grace Soleil de Mont, which is Samara Weaving's mm. character in Ready or Not. Mm-hmm. That is kind of, for me, the next level of that kind of final girl, right? Uh, the, like the, the modern, updated 2020s version of that character. Right. That's why I had uh, her at number five initially. I would throw in Mia Allen from Evil Dead. Uh, Sally from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Ivan here. Uh, Amber Midthunder as Naru and Prey. Mm-hmm. I had Nancy for Nightmare on Elm Street. Danny Ardor, of course, uh, Florence Pugh and Midsommar. Tree Geldman, another great one from Happy Death Day. Yep. Uh, and Happy Death Day to you, too, or whatever Happy Death Day to whatever it is. Uh, I think that one, though, it's much more, there's much more of a comedic uh, kick to those films. Ginny right. uh, from Friday the 13th Part 2. Mm-hmm. I talk, you talked about Sarah and The Descent uh, as well. So uh, that's my run. Yeah. I don't have anybody you didn't mention, although I do want to give a shout out to Sally in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre because by the end of that film, you can tell she's been through some shit. Like, and yeah. like it looks very, 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 very real. So, like, uh, I have to give a special shout out for that. But otherwise, yeah, you hit all of my other uh, honorable mentions one way or another. Wee, good for me. Mm-hmm. What are your favorite? Who are your five favorite final girls? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. You know what I watched uh, last night? What'd you watch? I haven't watched it in a very long time. Uh, Gaslight. Oh. It's currently on uh, Criterion Channel. I love that film. Yeah. Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. The, where the term gaslighting yeah, that's being comes from. overused and nobody seems to know what it means and it just drives yeah. me crazy at this point, but, but it's a good movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it in like probably 15 years, so I was very excited to catch up with it again. It's currently on Cry- Criterion's got a lot of good horror right now. They have uh, like a 90s horror mm-hmm. run. They okay. have uh, some, uh, yeah, they got a, a bunch of stuff right now. So, all right, Matt, uh, what's coming up next week? I guess I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Sure. We know for sure we're watching VHS 1985 to keep at least some of the spooky okay. season going. But as we've mentioned a couple of times in the show. Um, the Taylor Swift apocalypse has hit our local cineplexes. Um, she is dominating basically every screen. Um, so all that's left is stuff that most of it we already have seen and reviewed for this show, or I will unreasonably refuse to see it. So we're really at a crossroads of where we can actually go see, but we'll come up with yeah, something for you. Matt will not go see a haunting no. in Venice, no matter how many times I beg of him. Nope, not happening. He hates me so much. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I, I don't like those films. I I just don't want to go do it. I still haven't seen Death on the Nile. So mm. have you seen that one? The second one? No, because I heard it's so bad that uh, I don't. I I'm not going to waste my time. All right. Well, I'll work on Matt. See if we can do Taylor Swift the Eras tour. Yeah, that's what you're really see. hoping to see. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly could not name a single one of her songs. Oh, you couldn't? I know a few of her no. songs. Yeah. The ones from 1989, I know a few of those. That's because you have a you have a kid. She's not super into it, but you know, I, know. I yeah, she's not super. In, I think uh, uh, Taylor Swift has uh, fallen off. I think from the youngest members of Gen Z, as far as I can tell. Fair enough. Well, you listen to a, lot, a wider range of things, and I more I think more so than Fair I do. Enough. That might be it gets into your orbit a little easier than it does mine. It does as I listen to a, a David Bowie album for the millionth time, <laughs> or I've been in a weird Grizzly Bear uh, kick lately. Well, there you go. It's not super old, but they've been around for a while. I listened to the uh, couple of the Van Halen 2023 remasters mm-hmm. that just came out mm-hmm. like uh, two days ago. How were they? Of the Sammy Hagar runs. Okay. Not great. Shocking. I mean, they sound good. Yeah. But I'm listening to these albums. I'm like, man, I really love the like, like OU812. I loved when I was younger. And I'm like, that is a really inconsistent album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I listened to Fernal Alpha Cardinal Knowledge. I'm like, that is a really inconsistent album. <laughs> I mean, even the Diamond Dave stuff is is you know pretty inconsistent. They I mean they've got some great great songs on those, but yeah. as taken as a whole, a lot of them are just you know up and down. But some of the highs are girl. When it's love, I think it's still one of my favorite songs mm-hmm. of the '80s. Mm-hmm. It's great, and even like you said, the the early stuff uh, with with Dave Lee Roth. Yeah, it's you're right. There they have. Lots of filler, yeah. I feel like. You have like three really great songs probably per album. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, things take a drop. I mean, Van Halen albums, you can basically say it's three to four killers and the rest is filler is basically all it is. Yeah, there you go. So, good times. All right. Check us out at, uh, let us know what you think of, uh, we still got to do that, record that one off uh, thing where we, 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 or we stock up some album, mm, music review right, album yeah, stuff. Yeah, we got to yeah, come yeah. up with some albums to do. Yeah, we do. We should do that. So we'll have to work on that behind the scenes, Matt. All right. Anyway, check us out at thefirstrun.com. You can find archives of the old shows. Uh, the report card is on there if you want to see what we rated things like six months ago now. And uh, what else? Just a whole bunch of other stuff. And then check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you'll find us. Head on over to uh, Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. And um, I guess I guess that's... Is that it? That's so. it. So... Let's go ahead and take an extended break. We love you very much. Take care of yourselves. And we'll see you soon.